everyone. Welcome, Nerdy Knights of the Well-Rounded Table aboard Bohemian Geek Studies Millennium Fandom. I'm Padawan learner Sarah O'Connor, that queen of queries and defender of droids, and we are here to talk about Thrawn. Oh my. <laughs> but before we dive really in. Really, Colleen, we're going in that early. <laughs> I already got warm in here, guys. It's freezing in Minnesota. <laughs> Speaking of which, Colleen, why don't you go and introduce yourself? Hello there. Indeed, today. I'm Jedi Master and Rebel Scum collaborator Colleen McMillan, and I'm just going to make myself an honorary chist for this episode, maybe a few episodes moving forward. Yeah, you are wearing a little bit of that blue, a little bit of that light blue. blue. It's actually my Chimera shirt. You can't see it, but it's got the little Chimera on it. Interesting. And I am Pirate Jedi, Anders Drew, back for some more Star Wars shenanigans. And you know, we run the gamut here in terms of rank from Padawan to Knight to Master, but no matter the rank, dear viewer, one thing remains the same. Like young Thrawn, much to learn we still have. Mm. Boy, does he ever. Mm. <laughs> to set the stage, I actually did a couple of little short essays on Mithra Nerodo. That would be his full name. Also known by his core name of Thrawn which we will be using moving forward because it is easier to say. Yes. Um, Thrawn was created by author Timothy Zahn in the 1991 novel, Heir to the Empire, filling that kind of empty space that was in between Return of the Jedi and The Force, or um, Force Awakens. I don't know why I said that, Return of the Jedi and The Phantom Menace, which was like that in the 90s where people were like, what's going on with Star Wars? Does anybody like Star Wars still? Yes, yes, they did. I feel like we could say the same thing right now, though, sometimes as well, depending yeah. on which fans you ask at any given time. Colleen, just yes. to clarify that point, the, the timeline of Heir to the Empire is between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. Yes, this is the real world in okay. which fans were in this sea of not knowing what was going on between the 80s and 99 when Phantom Menace came mm -hmm. out. Okay. Yes, the empty space in between the real timeline, yes, is definitely in between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens, which is a pretty big chunk. Pretty, pretty giant chunk. Like, thanks, Timothy Zahn, for giving us something. That's helpful. Yep. Um, while Zahn's original Thrawn trilogy from the 1990s is much loved, much loved, it was decanonized by the Disney acquisition in 2014. So, like... Mm, so people were mad about that you guys they people were, are still upset about people that. are still real mad about that that's okay that's the decision they made <laughs> I, I, I love legends like i'm reading it right now and i really like it but they did have to forge their own way which yeah. i understand and we still get thrawn so i'm not <laughs> mad timothy's on not caring who he's working for he's like you want me to write more thrawn i got you I'll i got you thrawn. so his first canon novel is called thrawn and it came out in 2017. But we didn't have to wait that long for Canon Thrawn to make his way, a little sachet on screen. That was in 2016, Rebels season three. So yeah. that was kind of like our first intro to Thrawn, if you hadn't read any of the Legends novels. And he is chillingly voiced by Lars Mikkelsen, who is Mads Mikkelsen's brother. Superb Star Wars voice. Bros. Yes. Absolutely great vocal voice performance. Ooh, just, mm, yes. I thought that was perfect for Thrawn. He shouldn't be loud. He should just be this kind of quiet guy, unassuming. And that just lulls his enemies into a false sense of security, which is what he wants. So that introduced Thrawn to the newer Star Wars fans, or at least the canon-only fans, I should say. So 
to really dive deep into our blue-skinned enigma. In addition to examining Theron's character, we'll be taking a few questions from you guys for Master and Apprentice, not this episode, but later episode. Um, our fellow BGS Nerdy Knights, of course, have provided a lot of these questions, which are fantastic. And then lastly, we will be reviewing that latest novel that came out in September, Thrawn Ascendancy, Chaos Rising. Yay, book club. Yes, we're going to have a book club. We might have some arguments in the book club, but that's what book club is for. Drinking and fights. We're here for it. <laughs> to state the obvious, this episode is going to be full of spoilers. So if you haven't met Thrawn, go and watch Rebels. Yep. Maybe dip into one of his novels or short stories. Um, then after you've enjoyed that, grab your favorite drink from the cantina and prepare to relax and unwind as we engage your mind. Are you ready to punch it? Jedi is always ready. Yeah, let's do this. So to kind of get started, why don't we give our personal opinions on this suave AF grad, Grand Admiral? What, what do you Ooh. think, Colleen? Well, you guys already know what I think. <laughs> <laughs> mm. If it's all in a name. And beyond wanting know, to jump in. Yes, beyond wanting to be like, what's up, Theron? Like, mm, hi, buddy. Like, I don't know if this is where Zon got the name, but this is immediately what I thought when I saw it. It's a combination of thrall and awe. So you get your Thrawn there together. And it just sounds really cool. Uh, what fascinated me as a writer myself was that Zon doesn't give Thrawn very many point of view moments. Like, none in Legends. You get none. There are a few scattered across that first novel, Thrawn. And like I said, none in Legends. Um, it's always the other characters who are kind of trying to figure out what Thrawn's up to. They're always trying to get into his head, trying to like think about what his motivations could be. Um, this is mainly because he knows too damn much. He knows all the things that are going on with the plot. <laughs> yeah. So you can't have the one person who knows everything talking directly to the reader, which makes sense. Uh, there would be no surprise. Like Arthur Conan Doyle didn't let Sherlock talk. He had John Watson do all the talking. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, but then a lot of people saw Thrawn, especially Legends Thrawn, if they only read Air, as kind of this like immovable, unemotional kind of monster almost. Right, right. And in kind Rebels too, he kind of has that real dark energy, not dark side energy, but just like, are we sure this guy's not committing multiple war crimes? Which no, he is. He is. He is. But he's he also not this like, he's not a complete monster. He's not moving chess pieces across the board. I love, for, for those for of you who are, are not, who are not watching, Anders totally made a justifiable face as Colleen was. was he's, he's not, he does have his agenda, but he's not out here to do this for pleasure. Like that's not his thing. He's not malicious. This isn't a Palpatine inflicting pain and torture upon people. It's more like a meticulous, ends justify the means kind of situation like i'm doing right and i'm the smartest so what i think is right is right some and people would call that a cleansing uh, colleen yeah. calls it she justifies it <laughs> well he's, he's not out here cleansing everybody like potato potato just just the rebellion he's anybody not who's not a chess yes exactly well plus the chess don't really chat with anybody so that's kind of like oh ron's meeting all these new people he's like oh there's people yay this is fun um it's brought up a lot of times in canon and in Legends later after Air that he doesn't like the loss of life. Like he is not in it for mass destruction. He will try and get the job done with zero casualties if he can, 
and very low casualties if it's a possibility that there will be. I think he's just trying to save on paperwork with that. I don't think Thrawn has to do any paperwork. <laughs> I think he, that is below his pay grade. I think he's making Eli do all the paperwork. Or Pelion. No, he shipped Eli off. It's fine. Oh, poor Eli. We'll get to him later. I think that he's just, he's a being of very deep feeling, but a lot of people don't get to see that because he keeps that very icy poker face exterior going on, except Maybe. for his brother, Thras. Mm. Thras knows all about his brother, or he knew, and we're going to talk about that too later because I'm going to fight with Timothy Zahn about that <laughs> forever. Um, we get some real insights into his emotions in the journal entries that are from that 2017 novel, Thrawn. Um, one of my favorites is about regrets, and this is where a lot of my feelings about Thrawn's kind of inner nature come from, are these journal entries that he made, and then some dialogue that we will cover later. But this entry is about regrets. Quote, all people have regrets, warriors are no exception. One would hope it was possible to distinguish between events caused by one's carelessness or lack of ability, and those caused by circumstances or forces beyond one's control. But in practice, there is no difference. All forms of regret sear equally into the mind and soul. All forms leave scars of equal bitterness. And always beneath the scar lurks the thought and fear that there was something else that could have been done with Duncan. Some action or inaction that would have changed things for the better. Such questions can sometimes be learned from. All too often, they merely add to the scar tissue. A warrior must learn to set those regrets aside as best he can, knowing full well that they will never be far away." End quote. Dang, he's a deep, deep thinker, our, <laughs> our boy here. At Never accused him of not being a deep thinker. Well, a deep emotional thinker, I mm -hmm. should say, too. All right, so for me, I'd say, so my intro to Thrawn came when I saw him on Rebels, and he stepped onto the screen, and I kind of heard out in the zeitgeist that, oh, this was like a Legends character that had been brought in, but I was just like instantly drawn to him as a character, because you can just see he's, the, he's someone who's going to be reckoned with. Cold, calculating, very soft-smoking, kind of like a Snape character. Mm -hmm. um, that he just talks very quietly, but you hang on to every word. Um, when he's explaining things, I was also kind of reminded of like Voldemort in the graveyard talking to his Death Eaters. He's walking around like, I'm disappointed. I admit it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and he just knows he's the smartest one in the room. I eventually would read, I read the, the Canon Thrawn trilogy. I'd go back to read the Air trilogy. Um, so <laughs> one of the things that I loved about him off the bat, um, it's in the first Thrawn novel. You know, he does manage to save a bunch of this valuable gas that was being stolen and not kill the hostages involved. But his boss is like, no, you lost half the gas. That's, the, that's what happened. And he's explaining, actually, I saved most of it. I stopped the pirates and I saved everyone's lives. And I think everyone has, has had one of those moments where like your boss is chewing you out for something. And you're like, actually, I did follow your method. I did it better. And I did it more efficiently. Welcome to the conversation. <laughs> um, but for me, the, the thing that was most intriguing about him is the fact that he's a Chiss. He's an alien and he's this grand admiral. 
I think it's in the Revenge of the Sith novel. You get some of Dooku's inner monologue talking about how much he hates non-human species and that it's no accident that all of the Separatist leaders are aliens and that when the Empire comes into fruition, it is a human-centric thing. So to see this blue-skinned, red-eyed alien come in in this position of authority automatically makes him a lot more interesting to me. Yeah. And my intro to Thrawn, I actually can't remember which came first. I'm pretty sure that it was on a road trip and my husband Brennan was listening to one of the Thrawn audiobooks because I remember the chilling voice and going, ooh, it's like Sherlock Holmes, but like a little bit dangerous in a way. And Moriarty-esque. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. And so I think that it's just very much Star Wars's version of Sherlock Holmes or Dr. House or that like cool, calculating, always 10 steps ahead, the chess master, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I find him to be absolutely captivating. And when he's on screen, it's impossible to to turn away i mean he's got that chiseled jaw i can respect that colleen <laughs> but it's it's also that that mind that he's got up there that's yeah. just he's like a venus flytrap you're just buzzing to get in mm-hmm. charming he's very charming <laughs> gotta watch out for that ladies and gentlemen everybody just watch out for that. <laughs> all right so as we mentioned thrones is a member of a species known as the chiss Um, They're from the unknown regions of the galaxy. We don't know a ton about them, but Colleen, I think we did learn, especially in the newest, in Chaos Rising, we do learn a lot more about their kind of internal politics and kind of them as a species. So do you want to take us through a little bit of that? Yes, yes, I can get us started. This is one of the reasons I was so excited about the new Ascendancy trilogy was because they were going to get into the Chiss because we don't have a lot of it. There's just not very much out there which makes sense. They're in the unknown regions and the empire really doesn't like aliens. So they're not out there looking for them very much. So most of this kind of comes from our discussions with co-Jedi master, Matt Harrington. He also is really big with the Chiss and knows a lot about them. Uh, needless to say, if we don't know about it, we kind of speculate about it here in the pod or when we write any articles about it, just because we really just don't know. Um, we talked about how the Chiss structure could uh, just ascendancy is structured kind of like is it hierarchical is it a matriarchy is it patriarchy we didn't know uh, there was a hierarchy posted on twitter in t- anticipation of that september 2020 release of chaos rising which was really cool this like lit up twitter when people were looking at it the chis are governed by nine ruling families that are always gaining or kind of losing respective power and levels of authority so it's never in stone that you're going to be the best family it's always in motion um but we didn't really know kind of what was going on with them like is it like game of thrones is it like the mandalorian power structure where there are the families within the lesser houses for our world is it like the roman empire or like renaissance european kind of rulers we still don't know if they have a supreme head of state we don't know (laughs) We still don't know. We kind of saw them in an argument, Anders and Sarah, in yeah. the beginning of the book. Yeah, I'm like nodding speakers. along because I have not read the books, everyone. I'm just nodding <laughs> along, having a good time. thought you started Chaos Rising. <laughs> but we get like the nine ruling families. We're basically just fighting with each other about 
what they should do. It always kind of struck me. I mean, it is uh, just based on that. And I know we'll get into more of this when we actually cover Chaos Rising in full, Mm -hmm. but it struck me kind of a little bit like Game of Thrones, but a little bit also like, um, I don't know if either of you guys or if any of you people out there have read um, the Dark Elf trilogy, Mm -hmm. The Forgotten Realms by R.A. Salvatore. Oh, that's uh, that's Drizzt. He's the dark elf, and they're it's very much these like ranking families, and the structure of every family is very rigid. Like you're only allowed to have X amount of children, and if you have more than that, you have to start Ooh. sacrificing them, and the, all this stuff is going on. It's dang, it's that an sounds incredible. Intense. It's an incredible, incredible book. Uh, what what is it again? The Dark Elf trilogy. All right. Uh, it's the Forgotten Realms series, but I digress. <laughs> no worries. We can always shoot out ideas for books. Like, yes, that's yes. what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of getting back to our chess, Anders, do you want to go over a little bit of that structure we found out about? So, yes. So we do get a little bit of a sense of the kind of hierarchy within each of the families. Um, you start at the top. There is the patriarch, the head of the family. Um, according to the people at Del Rey, though, this does not have to be a male chess. So even though he's called, they're called the patriarch, could be a woman. Um, and that's pretty true for most of the ranks throughout the families. Um, the chess don't really care in terms of power and authority, whether you're a male or a female, except in a small case. So they do have, um, the chess use force sensitive children to navigate through hyperspace. Oh. Um, it's an incredibly interesting system and they call them skywalkers Um, so a child who is force sensitive is a skywalker usually they get trained um, and then each whenever they're aboard a ship they have an assigned caretaker and for the most part the skywalkers tend to be female whether that's just the midichlorians work out that way in the chist species or whatever we don't know nope. and the caretakers tend to be mostly female in that kind of yeah. nurturing motherly type role supposed to be nurturing <laughs> supposed to be yes um the chist man so below the patriarch children scroll here whoever's doing that scroll instead of tippy tap for our audio listeners all right um that actually might be me just like adjusting on Doesn't my chair. It? Sorry. Yeah, we're good. We're so right. good. So below the patriarch, um, you've got the speaker, who's the chief syndic of the family. The syndic are kind of the political representatives on the council of families, kind of like a, uh, a chairman or a representative, senator type deal. Um, obviously below the speaker, you have the rest of the syndics who are members of the signature. Um, that's the main governing body. Thrawn's legend's brother, Thras, was a syndic. Um, and then you've got the, the Patriel, who handles kind of the family affairs on a planetary scale. So just kind of like, okay, this is what's going on in the home worlds, an administrator type. Um, below them, you have counselors who handles family matters at a local level. So just within a particular city. Um, and then the aristocra, which are just the mid, just any kind of mid-level member who is part of one of those nine ruling families. 
Awesome. I thought they were much higher too in the hierarchy until we got into this book. I'm like, oh, (laughs) they're not. They're kind of like the paper pushers almost. It's true, but these families are not necessarily families in the way that we might think of them. Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about the different ranks within a family that we learned in Chaos Rising? Yeah, there's definitely an ordered hierarchy. So like first and foremost, blood blood just blood man (laughs) which is pretty much the direct blood relation of the family then we've got cousin underneath that and we don't quite know the difference between cousin and blood um because you'd think that there's blood relation with a cousin but it might be that they're far enough down the family tree frankly that they're not considered direct blood and this could also be for a chis who marries into the family so Mm -hmm. underneath that we've got ranking distant and that's not blood related either because trialborns can reach this level in the family so then underneath that ding 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 yeah you guessed it trialborns Mm -hmm. which is a chis merit adoptive that goes through a series of mental physical and psychological tests to earn this rank and then finally underneath that is the merit adoptive which should be quite familiar to us when it comes to thrawn any member of chis society has the chance to become this merit adoptive so long as they catch someone's eye and thrawn and his brother thras from legends and correct me if i'm pronouncing this wrong thallius are merit adoptives yeah this kind of reminds it when I when I saw this structure, it actually kind of reminded me, um, going back to some quote unquote classics of like Capulets and Montagues and Romeo mm-hmm. and Juliet. You've got the core family, you know, Romeo and Juliet are kind of blood. They are the actual sons and daughters of right. the patriarchs. Then you've got their like kind of extended cousins. And beyond that, you have like the allies that are all still considered part of those quote unquote families, almost like a mob. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, yep, definitely. Yep. Yeah. I'm sure everything's going to be fine in the just society, you guys. Oh, yeah, it's definitely. Nothing can happened. possibly go wrong with this. Nothing. Everything's fine. Colleen, can oh, you yeah. list for us the nine ruling families? Mm. Would you mind doing that for yes, us, love? Yes, yes. I was so excited to get this list. This was another thing that dropped on Twitter before the release of Chaos Rising. The, all of the family names hadn't been canonized yet, so I was like, yay! <laughs> we finally <laughs> knew who the damn nine families were. Up until that point, we maybe knew two. So also, do we know if they're equal in power? Do we know if the one who's listed as the first family, are they actually the first family? We still right. don't know that either. So going in order, we have Ufsa, and I'm also going to try and pronounce these and might not get them right, because I haven't listened to the audiobook yet. Uh, the Ufsa is number one, and Samakro from Chaos Rising was a merit adoptive of this family. We have the Irizi, which is where our girl Arlani comes from. <laughs> Her original core name is Ziara. Number three, have, we have Dasklo. And these ones we haven't really met anyone from yet. So we have Dasklo at three. Number four is Klar. Number five is Shaf, which is our astrocrat, uh, I think his name was Formby from <laughs> Legends. Another great one. We're going to have to talk about him at some point. Number six is the Pleak. That one is the one I'm really not sure how to pronounce, you guys. Number seven is the Bodil. Number eight is our myth. This is Theron's family, his adoptive family, symbolized by that sunburst that you see on his uniform in pictures. And then number nine is the Obik. 
Nice. So those are our nine ruling families. We don't know if they're all going to be there at the end of <laughs> everything, guys. This is true. Uh, probably by the end of the Ascendancy trilogy, they'll, they'll be there. They'll still be there. Whether or not they're there when we meet Thrawn again post-Rebels and any kind of hints we get at that in The Mandalorian, we don't know. Um, but so next, all right, so as we've mentioned, Thrawn came in, he basically, his books really started the expanded universe, which was then decanonized as legends, and he's kind of come back. So our friend Sean Starbird gave us effectively an essay question <laughs> to try and answer here. How different are these two iterations of Thrawn? You've got Canon Thrawn and Legends Thrawn. So how alike or different are they anyway? And, and I'll say as a watcher of Rebels, but non-story enthusiast, this is something that I'm interested in learning as well. Mm -hmm. I was too, because I first met him in Rebels and was like, at <laughs> this, guy's, <laughs> this guy seems really cool um i've been thinking about this differences between legends and canon since i finished treason which was the third canon book back in february of this year uh i hadn't planned on it but after i read these books i knew i had to tackle the expanded universe i was not going to you guys it's like that's 300 books no mm -mm. just not gonna do it and then but, quarantine and then quarantine happened <laughs> And also, I was like, I want to read more about Thrawn, though. He seems really cool. So I had to get the full picture. And in order to do that, I needed to start with the Heir to the Empire trilogy. Um, and since Timothy Zahn created both Thrawns, there had to be like this character kind of timeline in his mind, this kind of track along which Thrawn mm -hmm. walks. And he has said that it's basically the same person from Legends to Canon. We just don't have all the connective tissue there yet. Mm -hmm. um, Canon Thrawn is still my favorite. I, I like him, I'll I guess. On that. Quote, quote unquote, like him more than Legends, except for maybe one of the books in Legends I really like him in. But I did want to write a quick comparison, which I did way back after I finished reading the Heir to the Empire trilogy. I might do a longer piece at some point. We don't know. As <laughs> is your way. Oopsies. <laughs> <laughs> I never have trouble writing longer pieces you guys we know um, yeah know me well you both do but for <laughs> now we're going to go through his characteristics in canon and legends kind of like break it down a little bit instead of going all over the place and provide our thoughts on this wonderful character so we're going to look at his age um his personality and his actions because we really need to look at his actions you guys andrews oh, would you like to tackle the <laughs> so many war crimes would you like to tackle the first category Yes, so we're going to start here um, with Thrawn's age. And this is actually one of, one of the more key components to his character because it really cues the reader or the viewer into where his mindset might be. So Chaos Rising shows us a teenage Thrawn, which is our earliest canon iteration. Um, he's still in school. He's bound for the military academy. He's kind of awkward shy but inquisitive, really determined. Um, as far as legends go, Outbound Flight is the legends book with the youngest version of the Thrawn Commander overall. He's very, very young at that point. Commander Thrawn of the Expansionary Fleet in Outbound Flight is pretty close to his older selves, but there are some, there are some subtle differences. He shows a little bit of a sense of humor. 
he really loves and really embraces that he is the smartest guy in the room and he likes to show off a little bit. Um, he is very quick to tell Darth Sidious that he is, in fact, the youngest just uh, to ever have his command level. He's also really curious about new cultures, something that definitely carries over to his, his future self. Mm -hmm. um, and he's willing to learn from new people, not just through observing their art, which is kind of his primary way when we meet him in Rebels. Mm -hmm. um, he even shows outward exhaustion um, to someone not his social or species level, someone he actually considers a friend if he can actually have those later on. Mm. Um, these things make him vulnerable in a way that the throng we met in Heir to the Empire just can't afford to be. But ultimately, how old is he? Right. There is no definitive answer. Um, we don't know in canon if Chiss age in the same way humans do. They seem to. Overall, they seem to follow a general trajectory that most humans would. But, you know, don't know. They could mature very early and then just live a lot longer. They could be kind of like Wookiees who live to be like four or 500. We have no idea. But Colleen, you gave us a few guesses here, just trying to throw together a general timeline. Mm -hmm. Most likely in the Memories chapter of Chaos Rising, he's roughly a teenager. Um, and then in Outbound Flight, he's in his mid to late 20s. In the Alliance's flashbacks to when he first meets Anakin Skywalker during the Clone Wars, he's in like his mid-30s. Or sorry, he's still in his late 20s. He's in his mid-30s during the main part of um, the first Thrawn novel. Um, and then from Alliances up through the present, he's in like his mid-40s. And then by the time we get to Treason and after, into the air trilogy he's into his late 40s early 50s mm -hmm. we really don't know though because timothy zahn doesn't like that kind of detail <laughs> he does not no or he just doesn't think it's important you never know um but his relative youth and outbound plight outbound flight and the flashback portions of alliances show this kind of curious explorer and then when you get into the older heir to the empire you get the seasoned commander hardened by war, very, very, I don't want to say emotionless, because as Colleen pointed out earlier, he is kind of, he does have some deep emotions, but he's not willing to necessarily show it. Mm -hmm. He's not willing to suffer fools anymore, and he only really, he gets tunnel vision towards those future goals. Mm -hmm. His experience doesn't mean much in the end, though, as his youthful respect for other cultures has fallen away. Would that younger Thrawn from Outbound Flight have treated the Nagri like slaves? Mm. I really would hope not. I think younger Thrawn would be kind of appalled at his older self for what happens a few times later in canon and in Legends. I think um, older Thrawn would have smacked him back down and said, shut up and get back to work. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Older Thrawn has got to be looking back at his young self and being like, you fool, just like you idealistic moron. But mm -hmm. he still he still had that. Um, I was really bothered by it when I read the Air trilogy, just because his yeah. casual disregard for the Nagri was awful. Um, we want to look at some of his experiences with slavery in the novels, just because there's this really interesting spectrum 
where he goes from young idealistic like we said to cold calculating fuck the nogri there are our slaves and that's just how it's gonna go old thrawn um i wanted to look at the wookies who are in that first canon throng novel the nogri and legends and then the vagari slave ships in outbound flight fuck the vagari by the way we can just say that going on. <laughs> um i'll start with the vagari because yeah i just know mm, mm-mm not great not great guys they're not just pirates they're slavers um this is up on flight young thrawn he's a commander he's real hopped up on being a commander but he's really disgusted by the vagari and their cultural practices in this book um the vagari are a nomadic conqueror race who use slaves in defensive ways on their ships hi donk yes we know and we love you we know and we love you yeah hi donk hi baby yeah, you can come sit by mommy while we talk about slavery. That's fine. Uh, the Vagari use their slaves in these kind of bubbles outside of their ships so that if anyone attacked them, the first people to die would be these slaves who are on the outside of their ships, basically like plastered to the outside of their ships. And that was their first defense. Operation so Human Shield. Yeah, Human Shields, pretty much. Right. Every species imaginable shielding them. And Thrawn is disgusted by this, and he tries to avoid tactics that would put the slave species in danger. Sarah, do you want to tackle our next guy? Yeah, so for the Wookiees in Thrawn, Thrawn and Eli intercept some escaped Wookiee slaves, and Eli is frankly uneasy about the Empire using slaves, so I don't know where he's been getting his intel, because... That's been going on for a while. Yay, well, propaganda. Yeah, while well, Thrawn debates whether the Wookiees are indentured workers or sold themselves into slavery, he agrees that they are most likely innocents. However, he also believes that they are now under the control of the Empire and must be treated as such. Ooh, he was quick to rationalize their actions. How about the next group, Anders? So next we have the Nogri, uh, which are in Legends. The Nagari's home planet was devastated in an attack during the Clone Wars. Um, Vader discovered them several years later, and the Emperor concocted this kind of scheme that they were going to, quote-unquote, save the planet. Um, And as payment for saving them, the Nagari had to give up their sons to military enslavement, serving as bodyguards in a private military group. Uh, When Leia discovered the lies the Emperor had and perpetrating the Nagari planned their revenge against the Empire. Thrawn's own indentured bodyguard, Rook, killed him in the third air book for his, yep. complici- for his complicity in that slavery. So, slave oh, rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah, just no. And uh, Rook also was in Rebels, but Zeb basically kills him. I don't remember him at all. He was the yeah. little tiny kind of murder machine that Thrawn sent after. That oh, that's Rook. Okay. That's Rook. Yeah, his assassin. That. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't Legends, think I ever actually like, realized his name. <laughs> in Legends, that's his bodyguard who stabs him. Yep. <laughs> to death. So Thrawn in Legends is dead. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> so these are in chronological order that we talked about. The Vagari from when Thrawn is younger the Wookiee when he's in his 30s. So you should know better still, Thrawn. Come on now. And then the Nogri throughout the Imperial era. So what would make his behavior change like this? What besides aging 
and becoming more jaded could possibly do this. What, what do you guys think? I'm actually not sure if it's anything truly beyond that. I think right. that um, I think it does have to do with him, quote unquote, growing up. Um, the Chiss as a culture tend to be very insular. They are very concerned with themselves and not necessarily concerned with the other with others. But even with that kind of a thing, when you're young, you're very, you're still a little bit more idealistic. But then as you grow up, particularly in a military setting where you are effectively conditioned, that the mission becomes all that matters. Right. So um, even when Thrawn is serving the Empire, his mission, as we learn throughout the canon trilogy, um, and I assume we're going to get some more details on in the rest of the Ascendancy trilogy, his mission is to basically scope out the empire and see if they are going to be a threat to the chess or if they can be an ally against their enemies. And so that's the mission. Don't really care about anything else. I am currently serving the empire and scoping it out. Whatever their deal is, that's fine. I'll follow it. Slavery. Cool. Yep. Yeah. I can't put it any better than that. So why don't we get, uh, moving along to your favorite, or one of your favorite <laughs> categories, Colleen, his personality. Why don't you take it away? Oh, yeah. It's a puzzle, you guys, <laughs> which is why we're doing so many pods about it. Uh, he's a military genius, of course, but does he have a personality? <laughs> he does. He does. It's there. He oh, really sure. does. Very well hidden. Um, the air thrown doesn't really have much of one because we can't see past that kind of cold demeanor, especially at first. In the first book, you don't. He's more, like we said before, the Moriarty than Holmes at this point. He's that enigma to Captain Pelion, who is his subordinate, and the rest of the Chimera crew. Mm -hmm. Though they do respect him, they realize that he is a very competent leader, so they will follow him. Um, he's calculating, he's confident, he expects the best from everybody. But it's difficult to get a read on him. You can't read him at all. He's got that blank face kind of thing going on where people who rely on facial tics wouldn't be comfortable with him at all. No. The level of self-control is admirable. Yes, very <laughs> admirable. And in canon too, he kind of, you learn that he notices body changes and body temperature changes. That's the Sherlock also. Holmes kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he's also very aware of himself. So he's not going to give a lot away, especially when he's this older Thrawn who has, he's got shit to do guys. Like he's doesn't have time to be joking around with Pelion about much. Um, he's got that legendary poker face. Like we said, he's the tactical genius. He's the most formidable opponent. I think that the rebellion and the new Republic in legends ever has to face until these on bond come along. I think that maybe spending so much time in the unknown regions fighting all of these different cohorts kind of turned him into this older version that we see in air. Plus, he was out there when the rebellion <laughs> blew up all the Death Stars, you guys. So he's probably feeling a little pissed about that. He's like, I knew I shouldn't have been sent you know what? away. He was, he was trying to, he was doing his TIE Defender project, all right? Yes. He told the Empire, mm -hmm. don't mm -hmm. invest in that Death Star. Yeah. Putting all he your did. eggs in that basket is yes. not going to go well. Like the beautiful tactical military mind is working there. He's like, why? You don't need a death ray. You need like a million very maneuverable death rays. Exactly. Like Stupid Governor Price blowing up the the fuel depot. Oh yeah. Mm. Mm. Governor Price. Yeah. No. <laughs> now is not the time to be talking about her. Mm. I just 
I feel like this is the Thrawn and heir that would have been pulled into the Unknown Regions by the Purgle if Ezra doesn't go with him. I think that's going to kind of be this fulcrum, if you will, in Thrawn's life. Like, if he was in the Unknown Regions without someone who could temper him, I think this is what he would become an heir. But he's got Ezra with him, so we don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, he's still going to be really angry and persistent, hungry to prove that he's worthy of his duty. Um, we don't know what his future looks like yet, of course, because Timothy's on and Dave Filoni would have to figure that out together, I think. Um, Probably. But I think, I think Ezra will eventually pull down some of the emotional walls, or at least we'll get to see that happen hopefully probably because i'd like to see that side of thrawn come out just kind of that exasperated guy i think one of our questions was how long would it take for thrawn to get pissed off with ezra it's like he already is second. he's starting he's, he's already, starting yeah. that way he's yeah. already mad y'all i could totally yeah. see them like in a cave somewhere though and like there's some ezra is like playing with some like little equivalent of like a lost cat yeah and just having fun and thrawn's like what are you doing that thing has no purpose da -da -da -da. Yeah. and he just like Ezra just gets him to play with a little fluffy cat. Yeah, like, oh, look, Thrawn, it's a cat. He's so cute. Thrawn's like, fine, I will play with the fluffy cat. Yes. That would be wonderful. I mean, and Thrawn also, he does show that sense of humor with Arlani in Treason, which is great. Arlani's like, you're going to fuck up someday. Nobody's going to be there to save you. And he's like, Haha, you will be there to save me because you always are. And this is my, one of my favorite quotes from Treason. She says, quote, someday you'll overthink and overplan and it will come crashing down around you. Ding, ding, it does. Or squeezed by tentacles. Or right. squeezed by tentacles. <laughs> and she goes on, when that happens, I hope someone is there to lift you back to your feet. Again, tentacles, pick him right back yeah, up. Exactly. Yeah, the purple <laughs> are just going to like put him down nicely and then put Ezra down nicely and then be like, have fun, get along. And then they're just going to leave. But this is the the Thrawn I want to see, I want to see him pissed off because you don't get to see him mad very often. You do get to see it with younger Thrawn. He's got so much personality. He's a little remote at first when he's encountering new people, but once he understands them, he kind of opens up. He shows that really dry sense of humor and he allows a couple people to get close to him, which I, I love. He enjoys taking people under his wing. George Cardas from Outbound Flight is one of them. Eli Vanto, my, my, one of my husbands. And Karen Faro. How many husbands do you have? Two. <laughs> Just two husbands. At Just least two. Okay, right how many side pieces? Oh, that's that's difficult to talk about, Andrews. We don't want the husbands hearing about that. You think you can marry Eli, yeah. have Thrawn on the side, and he won't hear about no, it? No, that wouldn't happen. If I marry Eli, Thrawn's got to go. Sorry, buddy. Eli has my whole heart. And there's a reason, too, because Thrawn actually likes Eli, which is awesome. He has that nurturing aspect Thrawn does. He loves to show people loyalty once they've kind of proven to him that they deserve it. And this really shines through in canon. You can kind of see how his dual allegiances are pulling him apart a little bit in Treason when he's trying to balance between the Empire and the Chiss. Arlani comes along and he's like, sup, girl? Mm. I remember you and my obligations, but then also I have to listen to this emperor and try and keep it going on. But I think I, even in that, I thought he was very still kind of quote unquote, like in control of all of that. He basically yes. like that happened and he adapted instantly. And he was mm -hmm. like, yo, Arlani, Vader, all you gotta do, trust me, I got yes. this. I am serving both of your interests mm -hmm. at the same time. It's gonna be fine. That sounds yes. like Thrawn. 
Yes. And Arlani, <laughs> for the most part, believes him. She just is worried. Like, Vader doesn't care if he fucks up. He's like, oh, that's just another Grand Admiral that's going to go <laughs> if the Emperor doesn't like him. Yep. Whereas and Arlani's an alien like, to boot. please don't die. <laughs> <laughs> please don't get yourself in a situation where you're going to die. Oh, but next, this is our, our third little thing we're going to look at for the differences between Legends and Canon. Sarah, do you want to take this one? Yeah, I'm going to hop on this category, and it's really his actions, right? Um, Airthron, Air which we already talked about, straight up killed a subordinate at a station over a mistake. Do you have anything else to add? Mm. To that? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this bugged me forever. Does have anything to add? It bugged me so much. It just doesn't seem like Thrawn. Like any other Thrawn, even in the Air Trilogy, this one moment is so out of place. Interesting. Rook, he has Rook kill this guy, first of all. Just kind of like, he's like, yeah, just like snaps his fingers and Rook kills him. So down the research rabbit hole I went because I wanted to know, like, what is going on here? He never does this again. He does ever. Wait, he now, never kills another subordinate. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember now. Is it pre-Thrawn then in Rebels? There's the two the two Imperial commanders that kind of fuck up and they're having the conversation in the office. No, that's the Inquisitor. That is them. the Inquisitor who does that. Okay. Yeah. Wait, oh yeah, that's um Tarkin. Mm. Mm. Great look, Tarkin, yes. And that's why I thought it was so weird, because that's like a Tarkin Vader move. That's not a Thrawn move. He's more like, let's give this Ensign some more training and see if he can do better at his job. Um, it turned out these two characters, the one who lives and then the one that gets killed. Um, this is Ensign, and I'm gonna butcher this name, guys. This is a real name, Colclisher. I think he's a track. He's the tractor beam operator, and then Peterson, who's his kind of subordinate tractor beam operator. They're named after two people who won a charity auction to have That's their great. names be included in the book, which mm -hmm. is really cool. Like it drummed up a lot of positivity for the book and for the series. It went to a great charity. But the guy who won, whose name is Colclisher, got to decide if Peterson's character was killed or not. Whoa! So it wasn't Zahn driving the bus here. It was this random charity auction thing so he had to kind of fit it in there to which just doesn't like mm. i like that explanation for actions that did not make sense at all just to clarify that did kokozar get to pick effectively which one of them died or did he just get to pick whether the other one died or lived he got to pick whether peterson died or lived at least that's okay. what the interview question okay answers because i was gonna say that if he just got to pick which one of them died that would be like well no then th of one of them dying was it what the sub <laughs> the subordinate dying was definitely in the works yes <laughs> yeah but if yes. it's you just got to pick w if the other one died or lived that makes mm -hmm. sense okay which makes yeah. me really wonder about colclisher the real person <laughs> yeah and so like while this only happened once in the book readers would expect it to happen again as thrawn's crew probably did but the one thing that separated Thrawn from Vader was not using that kind of reckless cruelty. Canon Thrawn not only listened to his subordinate suggestions, but also frankly encouraged them. Mm -hmm. And in Treason, Ronan says that he doesn't know of any admiral who would put up with, like frankly, insubordinate behavior. But he also notices that no one on the Chimera is nervous around Thrawn. They're an absolutely harmonious crew and know their commander respects them. 
Canon Thrawn is always ready with a question, a lesson, and shows pride when people have things figured out. He really does groom people for command. And Aerithron might have had these tendencies, but he just doesn't have the time. While he asks Paleon questions, he's less likely to listen to their contrary opinions. Aerithron has been hardened by his experiences. He trusts his crew to a point, and we can't see Aerithron letting people make their own tactical choices. Very true. And in that sense, it is just, it's actually, even though we've been doing it for the past, you know, 20 minutes or so, it is kind of difficult to compare Canon and Legends Thrawn, mainly because Timothy Zahn has taken years to cultivate and grow this character. He says they're the same one, so there has to be a reason Air Thrawn is cold as fuck, and the Air Trilogy happened the way it is. I mean, that's from the early 90s. We're going on almost 20 years. Outbound Flight is from 2006. Mm. Um, and Canon begins just four years ago, 2016, with okay. Rebel Season 3 and the first Thrawn novel in 2017. So wow. overall, I said 20 years earlier. It's actually, I can't, I messed it up. It's 30 years. Yeah, that's why. Oh, shit, yeah. It's been 30 20, years. 2021, 30 20, years. 30 years. <laughs> 30 years. Um, <laughs> since Thrawn first appears on the page um, to when the prequel novel Ascendancy Chaos Rising gets published. That's a lot of time to plan out a character and character growth, give him a comparing, compelling younger adventures, let him grow and really flesh him out. Yeah. Yeah. I would love that amount of time to work on one character. That would be amazing. Um, I would say, like, going back to just kind of comparing the two, one of my favorite moments is in Outbound Flight when Thrawn asks Cardas not to crush the optimism of their mutual acquaintance, which also is like, this is Legends Thrawn? <laughs> All right. Like, he's a baby at this point. He's just a wee baby. He says, quote, there are too few idealists in this universe, too few people to strive to see the only the good in others. I wouldn't want to be responsible for crushing even one of them. Mm. Like, how the hell did this guy turn into Air Thrawn? It just ascendancy just, in the empire. Yeah, yeah. just, oh, it makes me very sad. I mean, it is, it is in the Air Trilogy that we are basically introduced to the entire concept of the Grand Admiral. Mm -hmm. We yes. don't know a lot about the Imperial Navy beyond like general ranks right. and things. He is the first quote unquote Grand Admiral that we meet. So we know instantly that this is a extremely powerful yes. officer. So he's got to have, he's got to be pretty hardened to achieve that rank. Yes. And considering the other ones that we do meet, like, ugh. He's actually the nicest one, you guys. <laughs> he's actually, even in Legends, he's like the nicest of the Grand Admirals that there are. Even, uh, I mean, even in Aftermath, Ray Sloan is still yeah. only an Admiral. She's not a Grand Admiral, right? Not I until think. later in camp. Not until she effectively founds the First yeah. Order. <laughs> yeah, when she's like the only one left, then she, <laughs> then she gets to be the Grand Admiral. Yeah. I should say Pelion becomes Grand Admiral, and he's delightful. So there's there's one who is nicer, or quote-unquote better, the better person than Thrawn is. Um, I, I did enjoy that he was an outright, out, like, total outright antagonist in Legends at first, 
Like that was great. It was really cool to see this guy who was actually a problem. Mm-hmm. Like our, our protagonists are not going to easily defeat him. Um, they just can't think like he does technically. Our friend of the pond, Sean Mellon, actually asked us why Thrawn is such a popular Star Wars villain. And I think that's because of it. He's different from Palpatine and Vader. He's like that breath of fresh air. He doesn't use the Force, which is another really cool thing. He is still able to beat Jedi like Luke and Leia, and he doesn't have the Force. I think, I think. Sorry, Sarah, go ahead. I think it's also because he's fighting for something other than absolute power. He's mm-hmm. he's fighting for his people. And so there is some kernel of redemption, frankly, regardless of how horrendous his actions are, there's still that keystone of why he's doing it, even if us viewers still don't know enough about the Chiss or their motivations or, or, or there's, I think, that kind of linchpin of logic that holds people to Thrawn and leave them enthralled. Go, go ahead, yes. Anders. I think yes. so. He's, he makes a very good successor in, um, in viewers' minds to Tarkin. He's got kind of that same like that same energy. swagger to him, energy, but it's it is it's that little linchpin of like motivations and what's really behind it that sets him apart and makes him a more compelling villain. Mm-hmm. And he is not the one to stand on the Death Star and just yeah. refuse to believe that it can't blow up. He's probably discovered that flaw five years ago and has an escape plan. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And and I also think oh what was shoot ah oh, I lost it never mind move we'll get, we'll yeah get we'll get it back, back. It. I'll we'll get, get it back, back to it yeah, I think making him an alien was an excellent choice and also an alien we didn't recognize you got yes. it you got it back that's that's what I was going to say thank you Colleen for jogging my memory I think because he's also treated as he's also treated as an outsider. In the books, mm-hmm. there's that level of sympathy there too. If you've ever felt like an outsider, you understand just because he's an alien or or alien-esque does not mean that he does not have redeeming qualities to offer. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a little bit of ourselves sometimes in Thrawn, despite how horrible the outcomes of some of his choices are. Yes. Yes. He's a, he's a guy you can root for. Even though he has done well. things. Oh, come on. You don't root for him in treason? I totally do. <laughs> Especially hey. when he's... I mean, it's really difficult because I, I worry about him and his outcome and the outcome of his crew. I mean, you're, you're rooting for him. him or like Palpatine. I mean, choice. the choice is kind of made for you. <laughs> yep. That's that is true, and he usually is like the lesser of two evils, which makes it easier to root for him. Yeah, he, he's he's yeah, he's fascinating, I, and that's why we keep talking about him. Is yes, he is he truly fascinating. So multifaceted. I think a, so too. More an those, antagonist than a villain. Those those frankly are some of his defining traits: the absolute belief in himself and those motivations. I mean, as as we've pointed out, Sherlock Holmes is a dead ringer analogy, and he wasn't popular either. And Thrawn could care less about popularity, no matter which one we're reading. The only difference is we like Sherlock's law enforcement. <laughs> we like the people he works for. 
Any any closing thoughts, Anders or Colleen, before I close us out? I don't think so. I know we're going to cover a lot in Master and Apprentice. We had some very good, very in-depth questions. So we awesome. got to move a lot of stuff yes. over into that section. Cool. I will say to kind of close out, I mean, Colleen, you mentioned the, earlier that you think the, the current canon Thrawn is your more favorite of the two iterations of the character. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely going to agree with you on that. I think it's like, it's really just really interesting because, I mean, even though it has been over a span of 30 years, it's always really interesting to see when an author or a filmmaker or whatever can effectively reboot their own work. Yes. Mm -hmm. So in introducing Thrawn into the new canon, Timothy Zahn kind of has this chance to like take everything that worked, mm -hmm. port it over into the new canon, yep. and discard anything he ultimately didn't like. So this kind of like second drafts mm -hmm. of the final version, I think is what makes the the newer Thrawn, the quote unquote better Thrawn. Sweet. Yes, more engaging, I think. A little bit. Well, join us again next week to geek out and engage with us in our special for Thrawn's Master and Apprentice. Yeah. And as a friendly reminder, if you enjoy us in our podcast format, you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the meantime, help us grow by heading over to our YouTube channel. Hello, welcome. And subscribing <laughs> and telling other nerdy knights to join us because it really does help. Thank you all so much for joining us today and we'll see you next time. Check out our show notes on how to reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and reach out to us via email at bohemiangeekstudies at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Our critiques books up and keep those episodes streaming. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.